And we're back after almost a month-long break and back starting in Baku. Anton, how, first of all, was your time off? I've been counting the days and I'm glad that we're back. I can completely agree. I am definitely glad we're back. (laughs) I feel like it was, uh, it felt much longer than, what, three and a half weeks, almost four, so... Yeah, it did feel like like a very long time. It was almost like a summer break, with the only notable difference being that the teams were able to continue work on their updates. So I think that's one of the topics we're going to touch today. Oh, yes. I think we have quite a few things to touch on because this weekend was filled with a lot. We had one practice session. We had a sprint shootout. We had a sprint race. We had qualifying. And then, of course, we had the race on Sunday. So I think there's a lot that we do have to discuss. True. It's a bit of a new format, which I've heard a lot of mixed reactions on. What What is your What is your thought, your main thought on the change of the format? You know what? I actually enjoyed the element of strategy. There was an extra heightened element of strategy incorporating it. I know that it's not for everybody. Some people, like you said, enjoyed having it there. And some people thought maybe there were there should be a little bit more of a modification to the overall sprint weekend itself. But ultimately, I thought that it was pretty cool. I don't think necessarily it suits Baku, but I think if you find the right circuit and you add that element, it definitely heightens, like I said, the strategy For Baku, we saw a lot of tire degradation, and that seemed to play a part, especially with this sprint shootout element. Now, you're right. It's definitely, it did add an element of strategic uses of tires between the different sessions. So I don't know if that was just due to them not allocating enough tires or whether we're going to stick with this amount of tires in in the other sprint weekends as well. But I think in theory, if you're going to have a sprint weekend, and we can debate on whether sprints are nice or not, but if you're going to have one, then I do think that this is a better setup because drivers should take more risk during a sprint with a separate quality setup for that. And of course, it being better in theory doesn't necessarily mean that in effect, you're going to see a better sprint race better than how the setup was last year it doesn't mean that every single sprint race is going to be better this year but in theory i think it's it's good to have to give this a shot and to see how we're gonna yeah if we're gonna see something more interesting on the other hand though talking about the element of strategy you know the 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 sprint race itself is basically you know it's it's not much more than driving a third of the race and then just at about the point where strategy comes in you reach the finish. So it's, yeah, it's a little bit double. So I do understand that there's people who are for sprint races. There's people who are very strongly against it. But anyway, we we had a sprint weekend, so might as well have a look at what happened. Yeah, let's, let's get started into that. Well, I think let's touch on, as we always do, first of all, Baku and the st- the circuit itself, the street circuit. Um, so I'm going to go over a few things here and any modifications that have taken place since last year. Uh, but to start, we should mention the fact that this circuit itself has been renewed through to 2026 on the F1 calendar. So it's here to stay for at least several, f- for a few years, we should say. Yeah, uh, three more years. Yeah, three more years. I was surprised hearing that, but uh, but yeah, it's going to stay on the calendar for a bit more. Yes, it is. And so the track itself is over 6,000 meters. And 
It has three sectors, two DRS zones, which I will also mention there was a modification done to one of the DRS zones. I think they shortened it by about 100 meters, if I'm correct, for this year. And the the circuit itself is a very narrow circuit. Uh, It is a street circuit, but it has 20 turns with top speeds of over 351 kilometers. There's basically little room for error, I think it's safe to say, right? Yeah, sure. The walls, the walls are pretty close <laughs> almost everywhere. They really are. I would say the most dicey spots seem to be between turn one to three and then also turn 15. We saw a little bit of action happening there over this weekend. Sure. So there was also resurfacing done to the track for this year as well. And the tires that were chosen for the weekend were C3, C4 and C5. C5 being the softest tires possible that Pirelli has to offer. All right, so what were some of the more noticeable upgrades on the cars this weekend? So going into this weekend, there were three teams specifically that had major upgrades. Those three were McLaren, Alpine, and AlphaTauri. Now, I will say that with major updates or upgrades being applied during a weekend where there's only one free practice of an hour, to me, it shows the potential urgency that's behind improving their current conditions to maximize as much speed as possible. So it obviously didn't leave them a lot of time to see the changes that they've implemented go into effect. But of course, as we go along during this podcast, we'll talk about how those changes impacted the teams themselves throughout the race or throughout the weekend itself. So just to touch on what some of those upgrades were for McLaren, they were they had an upgrade of their floor body alpine they were focused on the front and rear suspension and for alfatari they had their rear corner along with their beam wing engine cover and the rest of the grid itself with the exception of red bull all had their rear wings adjusted going into this race weekend now the main reason is because of that long straight so it does require a lot of low downforce to set up in the car I will say as well with Red Bull, one of the reasons why they did not have a have their rear wing changed was because they've already ran it before earlier in this season. So they've seen already what it's done. True. But did Red Bull did have a change to their side pod, like the cooling duct inlet had a slightly it was it was quite a bit skinnier. Yes. And there were a couple of other so I think Alpine also did have a new floor. And Mercedes makes some small changes to the floor. So yep. all in all, there were quite a lot of um, of updates, which made it interesting and had a lot of people guessing how <laughs> how this weekend would turn out. Especially also, as we mentioned, the setup of the weekend is a little bit different. So there's only one free practice session. So not a lot of time to see what those upgrades do. And usually if you're going to have new updates, like if you have a different wing, uh, you're going to try running the old one and the new one just to see how the the specs actually differ. So with only one hour of of practice session, not a lot of time to look at those things. No, and we saw some teams such as Aston Martin who had introduced uh, their rear wing and the struggles that they were having with the DRS and being able to Uh, utilize it and there were times where they were struggling and we'll obviously touch on that later but yes you're right Red Bull did come in with with quite a few changes as well to their floor the side pod inlet and uh, Mercedes did have an adjustment to their front suspension as well but like you said it's going into a weekend like this it's it's a nail biter because you really don't know what's going to happen even though they've had this break to be able to 
work on making these adjustments, how when that when it's put on the track with less than an hour to really get a sense of what's happening, it re- really leaves anything possible. True. So yeah, with this different setup of the weekend, uh, the free practices usually are not as nail biting as some of the other, like the qualifying or the race. So I understand not everyone is always watching that, but with the new uh, order of things, free practice one actually becomes relatively interesting to watch because a lot of things are cramped into just this one hour and uh, maybe it was just a coincidence, but uh, I thought that the free practice one was quite a good watch this weekend. There was quite a few things happening. For example, Sainz skimmed the wall a little bit. Tsunoda did. He he, he spinned and uh, he punctured his tire. Uh, Gasly's car was on fire, which yeah. was, uh, which was uh, well, a sight. It was a long and, and night for the mechanics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that shows that if you have only one practice session and after that you're going to have a qualifying session, then if you mess up that first practice, you mess up basically your whole weekend, which is what we've seen with, with Gasly. And uh, but there was, you know, even Magnussen, Leclerc, both went into the runoff area. There was there was a good amount of there was some issues with the front wing of the Williams. Um, uh, Ocon had problems, so so Alpine as a team had a horrible practice session and and thus not a good weekend. No, and I think also to mention the drivers too, namely the rookies. We saw. This is for them, even the practice session of an hour also impacts them because they're not as comfortable on the actual circuit itself. Temperature, the weather, everything plays a factor. You can be doing, you can be working in the sim machine as much as possible, but it really, it really comes down to what you're doing on that specific day. So I think that, or for the weekend, I should say, so when you only have an hour for free practice as well for some of these drivers, you could see that they were struggling in certain areas, especially with the technical element of the track itself. All right, so now that we've spoken a little bit about the layout of the weekend and the track and different upgrades, Shall we just begin and talk a little bit about the qualifying for the race? Or do you want to touch on the sprint session first on the whole Saturday? How do you want to structure this? I say let's start from exactly how everything was ordered. Maybe let's let's go into qualifying and then we can head into the sprint. Yeah, that would be the most chronological, I agree. <laughs> All right. So I guess I'll start by mentioning where everybody finished in the top 10, and then we can get into a little bit more details. So securing pole, and it's his third pole in a row at this circuit, was Charles Leclerc. Coming in at number two, in second was Max Verstappen. In third was Sergio Perez. Fourth was Carlos Sainz. Coming in at fifth was Lewis Hamilton. And then rounding out the bottom 10, we have Fernando Alonso in sixth, Lando Norris in seventh, Yuki Tsunoda in eighth, Lance Stroll in ninth, and taking the final spot in the top 10 was Oscar Piastri. Yeah, and I think by listing that, I think we can straight away say that um, the highlight of that starting grid for the race is is Tsunoda on P8, which was a, a really good result for him. And other than that, I think what was also nice to see was that the Williams both made it to Q2. Yes. And that was actually the first Q2 
Q2 that Sargent ever went to in, in his Formula One career. So that was that was good. On the other hand, what was not so good was Russell not making it to Q3. Uh, he made a mistake on his last lap in Q2. He, he almost went into the wall and uh, he was starting 11th. Yeah, and we also saw Gasly out in Q1 as well. He went into the barrier. Uh, Magnussen, he had an electrical problem and was unable to complete Q1. And then actually DeVries went into the barrier in Q1 as well and, and drew a red flag as a result. Yeah, that didn't look very pretty. And then, <laughs> No, that was not pretty. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Norris and, and Piastri both making it to Q3 starting 7th and 10th. That That's a very good result for the McLarens, perhaps showing that the upgrades are are having some good effect on them. Yeah, I think this. I think this qualifying, you could see that the the improvements that AlphaTauri and and McLaren made definitely, they were able to get something out of the car for qualifying. So that was really great to see. And and like you said, it was nice to see Yuki in the top ten. Yeah, and actually Piastri, although he started tenth, but he actually qualified at exactly the same time as Stroll. So they they both set the same time. Just Stroll set it earlier than Piastri did. So so yeah, that that really was competitive. And talking about setting similar lap times, it was pretty. It was pretty cool to see Verstappen and Leclerc also setting similar lap times in the beginning of yes. the Yes, they set the exact same lap time. I mean, how rare is that? Yeah, and and so within that top ten, we we saw that twice because it was like I said, also Stroll and and Piastri, they, their final qualifying results in mm-hmm. Q three were were the same lap time. So yeah, you don't see that very often, but we saw it twice. And yeah, it was just uh, Leclerc had another good lap in him and, and, and actually set pole, which was a very good performance from, from him. And he, I think it's safe to say that he really, really likes his track. I think so. Okay, so let's get into and move along to the sprint shootout and the sprint itself. Quite a bit happened. So I also want to mention, though, before we even get into it, just the actual format itself of the sprint going into this year. So we'll start with the time for each one. We have, in terms of the sprint shootout, we have an SQ1, SQ2, and SQ3, similar to qualifying. Now, the difference in itself is that in the first one, SQ1, you have 12 minutes. In SQ2, you have 10 minutes. Once you get into SQ3, if you do, you have eight minutes to obviously achieve the fastest lap possible for yourself. So that really whittles down time for the drivers and for the teams. And also they have set tires that they are assigned for each of these qualifying sessions. So for the first session, it's new medium tires. Second, it's new medium tires. And SQ3, new soft tires. What did you think about that? No, I think, well, I was at least glad to see that it didn't start with doing SQ1 on hards, because I do think that they are going to do this trial one to, or twice this year, actually. I don't think it's been specified on which tracks, but they're going to do a format of qualifying for a race where you need to use hards in Q1, mediums in Q2, and softs in Q1. But, you know, if you have a, a time frame of 12 minutes i don't think it's a very good idea to go out in hard tires and having to heat them up and at the same time having the pressure of having to set a good banking lap so uh, i think this was actually not a bad format i just because of the tire allocations this weekend it resulted in a lot of teams struggling with having enough tires available Uh, i think uh, for example both norris and 
to know that didn't have any softs available anymore in the third shootout session. Well, uh, to know that didn't make that shootout session. So no. for him, it's not much of an issue, but Norris did. And I don't know if that has, like, if it was done on purpose, if they're going to allocate more tires for sprint weekends in the future. But it does, yeah, it does bring some sort of strategic element, which on the one hand is cool. On the other hand, you do, I mean, if you see a driver make it to Q3, you also want to see him set a, a lap in that session. And uh, that was a bit of a shame. But then again, I, I guess these things happen on the first tryout of, of, of a format like this. Yeah, and this is this touches on a little bit of, of what we discussed earlier in terms of adding that el extra element of strategy. It makes it more difficult, like you said, with the limited resources that they have for the tires and how do they utilize them effectively to be able to give themselves an opportunity to get into SQ3. And like you said, in Norris's case, he ran out of softs, which means that, yes, he entered SQ3, but technically he couldn't actually be able to produce a lap. What I found interesting, though, was the team did ask him on the radio if he wanted to continue in that, if if he wanted to utilize uh, the softs uh, during, I believe it was during qualifying, in order yeah, to, yeah. yeah, in order to to run out of, and he said, "Yeah, that's fine. I I don't I want to go this route." B basically saying that he did not believe that he was going to make much of a difference in the sprint, anyways, even if he managed to make it into SQ three. Yeah, and uh, I guess it's pretty logical that they're prioritizing the race in the end that's where you really shoot for the points and the sprint is a nice addition for some bonus points but it only goes up until points for p8 so with the mclarens not being as fast this year i i understand this reasoning and well i guess he wasn't the only one who who i, I don't know if Tsunoda was aware of using his last tire, his last new soft tire that could have been allocated for the qualifying of the sprint in theory. But uh, he made that same decision. So, um, yeah, if, if we stick with this tire allocation, uh, we might see the same thing happening in the future in other sprint weekends. Okay, so here's here's a question I have for you in terms of what you what you would have thought going into this in terms uh, going into SQ3 for McLaren specifically. So you had both Piastri and Norris neck and neck in SQ2, and I believe that Norris just narrowly edged ahead of him to get into SQ3 by three hundredths of a second. So it was very, very close. So my question is, if Piastri, who had enough and the ability to be able to get in, if he was able to get into SQ3, he may have potentially been able to get a little bit better than 10th, giving them the possibility to get much needed points for the team. So would you have, if you were in maybe their shoes, potentially looked at strategizing around getting Piastri into the top 10 as opposed to Norris to give them that opportunity? Yeah, that might have, but it does sound more logical, but did Norris actually set his lap time after Piastri set it? Uh, no, he, it was before. Yeah, so I believe it was before. Yeah. So if he'd already said it, then for Piastri, well, the only way to actually make it into Q3 would have been to set a quicker time. So you know, if Norris already set that time, he can't he can't go back and take three tenths off it. No, agreed. I what I mean more so maybe maybe I'll just adjust the question a little bit. So more specifically, would you be focusing on trying to get Piastri into SQ3? Theory, as opposed to Norris because yeah. of the fact that he has the opportunity to potentially get further in terms of points going into the sprint race itself. 
yeah, of course, uh, of course. All things being equal, I think that that is the, the the smarter option for the team. So it's a shame that it was well, not a shame, but uh, uh, it's not a shame that Norris made it into Q3. It's a shame that Piastri didn't. So yeah, yeah, you're right. I think as a team, if you know that one of your drivers doesn't have the tires available to to run in the session, then and especially on a track like this with a long straight where you can actually tow your fellow driver, then yeah, that would be, that would be a good strategy to have the one that doesn't have the tires available tow the driver that does. Yeah. I mean, anything's up for debate, right? But it is something that crossed my mind because Piastri was pretty close in terms of performance with Norris going into the sprint shootout. So it's not like he was trailing farther behind. He was, he, I mean, like we've said, they were definitely maximizing more speed out of the car itself, going from qualifying and then leading into the sprint. I think, though, Piastri was battling food illness this weekend, I believe. He was battling some sort of sickness. Maybe that played a part in their decision, but you never know. But I think it, it is definitely a strategy that I paused on and thought, hmm, what would have happened if they potentially just reversed the order? So. No, good thinking. Okay. And speaking about teams that were trying to help each other out in terms of strategy, we saw Aston Martin doing that during the sprint shootout. Both of them were experiencing some issues with their DRS, but at the end of Q2, Alonso did give Lance Stroll a tow, which gave him the ability to get into Q3, which was, or SQ3, I guess we could say. So that was some nice teamwork there. Yeah, because only Alonso had DRS and, and Stroll had issues, whereas during free practice, it was actually the other way around. They, they were having issues right. with their with their flap throughout the weekend. Yeah, and, and on a track like this, that's, that's a little bit dicey because you're going into braking zones with intermittent speeds with the DRS zone. So that, that definitely made it challenging, that's for sure. I do think they actually fixed it during the race, the actual race. I do yeah. think both DRS were working for both drivers, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. So what about uh, Leclerc's strategy of, of setting a pole lap and then and then driving into the wall? <laughs> yeah, that was that was something, wasn't it? I was getting some uh, some Sergio Perez flashbacks in Monaco. <laughs> no, I but Okay, I, I think that in in Leclerc's case, it looked like he definitely oversteered into into turn five there, but it was right at the end, so he did still secure pole. Yeah, definitely, but I don't think that, like you said, it was not on purpose. But no, no, it, it it was very impressive to see him take pole in both sessions, in both qualifying sessions, and it was very impressive. Yeah, and he the this track really seems to cater to him when it comes to that he he just i mean securing pole three times in a row in baku is already an impressive feat to to achieve so he he definitely does well on this circuit right so let's go into the sprint race all right let's get into it so i guess we'll start with the top 10 finishers so taking top was sergio perez uh coming in at second was charles leclerc and third was max verstappen Fourth was George Russell. Fifth was Carlos Sainz. Sixth was Fernando. Following Fernando Alonso was Hamilton for seventh. And then after that, Lance Stroll in eighth. Ninth was Williams' Alex Albon. And finishing off in tenth was Oscar Piastri. Now, we should also mention the fact that in the sprint race, only the top eight will achieve points. So, Anton, 
why don't we start with the first three turns of the first lap of the race? Verstappen, Russell, what are your thoughts on that? I was on the tip of my couch watching that battle. It was a great fight to see. Verstappen had a very bad reaction time to start. Russell was way quicker off his line. So they they went into the first turn basically together, side by side. And then the second corner, they, they touched. Uh, Russell had a very slight lock up and, and, and touched the, the side pod of the Red Bull. And then on the third turn, Russell was actually able to really pass Verstappen. And, uh, and Verstappen hit the wall slightly there. I think he, he hit it on the third turn, right? Yeah. And, you know, I was a little bit surprised that Russell took the opportunity that early on in such a narrow part with those turns. But at the same time, it was it was definitely a bold move nonetheless. But like we said, like you had mentioned there, it did look like he was struggling to really stick tight to the apex going into turn two. And he did mention, as many of us have already probably seen after the race, their conversation but he had mentioned the fact that he didn't really have a lot of temperature in his tires, which I'm sure played a part, uh, and hence tapping Max there. Now, going into the f- going into turn three, yes, I, th- I think that that was more of a side-to-side battle there, and um, Max didn't have a lot of room, but he had enough. But again, it's Max for Stappen, right? He is going to, he- he's not going to let up. And uh, that's that's one thing that you're going to probably assume when you're battling him. It's it's something that uh, makes definitely for an exciting race. It made for an interesting conversation at the end of the race. Uh, And, you know, uh, can you question should Russell have maybe made that lunge going into the second turn? I don't know, uh, but it definitely it he, he was not happy. Max was not happy about it. Yeah, but you can't blame George for trying because he also yeah. knows that he's not really going to get a chance later on in the race, given the competitiveness of the Mercedes compared to the Red Bull. So yeah. they're racing drivers. So, you know, it's they're not going to sit back and watch somebody else drive away. So mm-hmm. really, you can't blame him for trying. And I think we all agree that uh, Max himself, since the beginning of his career, up until the point where the Red Bull actually became a lot more competitive, would have made exactly the same move. And and so it's it's a little bit tough on Russell to to yeah to really break down on him like that. But I guess after all, it's it's the heat of the moment. These things happen. And these things have happened before, and I do hope they're <laughs> going to continue happening because it's also what makes what makes it exciting to watch, isn't it? I couldn't agree with you anymore. I I think that at the end of the day, you want to see driver like you want to see drivers be as competitive and as bold as they can within reason. And I don't think he was doing something extremely dangerous. I think he was just like you said, trying to take an opportunity in a moment where he thought was fleeting. He wasn't going to get much opportunity on that track to really try to gain an advantage on the Red Bull. Uh, and he, he tried to take it and, uh, did it end up in a situation that maybe he or Max didn't anticipate? Yes. But at the same time, sometimes you have to take risks. I mean, you are, that, that's what this, that's part of what racing is all about. So if you thought that lap one was exciting, what about lap two where, where Tsunoda tried to continue on three tires? (laughs) 
That was so they actually were fined. Alfatari was fined five thousand euros uh, for an unsafe release afterwards because I thought that he was retiring. I thought it was a done deal. So the fact that they pitted him and put him back out, I was very surprised. I was very surprised too. It was funny to see because he gone into the pits and they they changed the tires, the four tires, and and you saw everyone standing around it, and nobody really actually had a had a actual good look on the state of the car, and they just. You know, I don't know. I mean, if you're standing around there with I don't know how many guys, you're going to notice that the rear tire was just yeah, completely screwed onto the car. It was it was it was not in the state <laughs> to send it out. So uh, I no. don't think anyone's going to really complain on that five thousand dollar fine. I guess I, what it comes down to is that the, the, the sprint is for some teams, uh, especially if you're not, you know, if you're not fighting in the front, I think it's some sort of a. A practice session to some teams so i mm -hmm. guess what they wanted to see is whether the car was still in a state of being able to continue but you got to take into account that you're actually racing against one another or others are i mean at that point sonoda wasn't racing but yeah you got to take into consideration <laughs> if it's safe for the rest of the people on the track so uh, yeah i was very surprised to see that but it made uh, for some uh, for some comical there were some funny memes I saw afterwards <laughs> with that tire rolling down the track. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, I would say further to that, uh, putting him out there, I think you're absolutely right. Trying to just get some track time. Also, maybe in AlphaTauri's mind, we don't know, but just under the assumption, they were already having, you know, Sonoda did well uh, to start and the car obviously was performing a lot better. DeVries, on the other hand, seemed to be struggling all weekend. And so for them, they're in a position where they're trying so desperately just to even get a point at this stage going into the fourth race. Maybe in their minds as well, it was almost an act of desperation of, well, maybe it will work. Maybe we can we have another shot. But I, I don't know. You're in a sprint race, so there's not really much laps to, uh, to try to make a difference, especially after triggering a, a safety car and, and driving on three wheels. <laughs> Exactly. So the safety car came in on the end of lap five. So we had a restart into six and Leclerc had a very decent restart where he drove away from Paris relatively easily. Verstappen at that restart passed Russell fairly easily as well. He was he was up on his gearbox up well just just before the start finish line and then going over it. He passed him, made a couple of unnecessary comments on the radio. And other than that, Stroll passed Norris on that uh, on that restart as well. And we had uh, Sainz and Alonso uh, also overtaking Hamilton. Hamilton didn't look very sharp on that restart. No, he didn't. And uh, and Norris seemed to. It looked like Norris was struggling as well. Yeah, I think he had overtaken Stroll on the start initially, mm -hmm. uh, and then yeah, after that restart, Stroll and Norris had a bit of a battle, but it didn't take very long. Uh, I think it took it it took like three turns, and Stroll was then ahead of Norris. Yeah, and and uh, I would also say Stroll at towards the end of the sprint race taking Albon for the final point, which was good for Stroll, but I was yep. really sad to see Williams not double their yes. points that way. Yes, I I thought he was he was doing very well, and then seeing that it was it was a little bittersweet because it's good for Stroll to to get there, but also for Albin. I mean, it's it's always it's always a little bit heartbreaking when you see a driver lose that lose a point or lose the opportunity lose that final point, let's say, in the race at the very end. 
um, after after putting on quite a quite an impressive performance, I would say, out of the Williams. True. And the other overtake that we saw uh, was was Perez overtaking Leclerc, and he managed to take it home until final lap 17, taking the win, beginning what was for him a very, very good weekend. Well, it definitely was back-to-back for Perez and Baku, (laughs) right? He won. (laughs) Winning the sprint and then coming through and winning the race. Uh, So, Anton, do you want to maybe highlight the top 10 in terms of uh, finishers for the race? Yes, so Perez won, like you said, back-to-back, and Verstappen finished second. Third on the podium was Leclerc for the first Ferrari podium of this year, of this season. Alonso, for the first time this season, was not on the podium, but finished P4, which obviously still very decent. Sainz finished fifth. Hamilton came in sixth. Stroll was seventh. Russell moved up a couple of places and finished eighth. Norris finished ninth. And Tsunoda took another point for the Alpha Tauris. And the fa- fastest lap was set by Russell in the last lap of the race. And Perez won driver of the day. True, true. Very deservedly so. I agree. And um, what did you think about, so talking about the race, I mean, what did you think about, I'm going to say, first of all, the battle with the Red Bulls? I mean, it really seemed like clearly both the drivers were in a league of their own and going towards the back end of the race it really was Verstappen trying to get an edge on Perez Perez trying to stay ahead there were a couple of narrow misses with the wall with both of them it was it was pretty interesting what was your thoughts yeah Perez actually touched the wall uh, somewhere around lap 33 34 he he well it wasn't a heavy touch but it was certainly a hard in mouth uh, moment for him uh, i think it was it was turn 15 as well where a couple of other drivers also um touched the wall yeah it was good to see that battle and um with the two red bulls being so strong which makes it might come across as a little bit boring because beforehand you know the red bulls are going to finish first and second if they don't have any dnfs but then at least they're able to battle each other and um and i think it was a of course, strategy was involved here too, and that made part of the race come out as it did. But Paris just drove very, very well, and uh, I think you know there's a couple of circuits on the calendar where Paris is just extremely good and and very tough to beat. And then I think if you look at the two together overall, Verstappen has probably you know the better overall uh, capacity to win races. But um, but it's good that it's uh, that the championship is exciting again, uh, at least between the two Red Bull uh, drivers. Yeah, and the street tracks seem to really Perez does really well on street tracks. This is actually the first time, the second time that he's won in Baku, and it's not easy to do that. So he definitely, I think, like we said, he deserved driver of the day for sure. I mean, Verstappen is uh was relentless trying to catch up to him but Perez just managed to to maintain his pace uh keep his distance he he was effective he definitely kissed the wall about one point and there were a few times where yes they're both finishing one and two but there were a couple of moments towards the end where 
you're just, you feel like they're just hanging on. Like it could be any moment, anything could change. And uh, it was definitely exciting. And it's really nice to see, or exciting, I should say, to see this battle between the two of them in the most recent races competing for competing for the top. I agree with you. I think Max obviously is in a class of his is in a class of his own, but to see Perez do as well as he has been recently and also capitalizing on certain things that have transpired through the races themselves. Like for example, the pit stop we can get into a little bit later on, or sorry, not the pit stop. My apologies. Uh, the safety car that we'll get into where we had the pit stops basically divided that did give Perez the edge. But again, he made the most of it. He really did. True. It's just a shame that the other teams are not able to hang on a little bit longer. So yeah, if you have Leclerc starting on pole, you'd like to see him hold up a little bit longer than he did. Uh, because Verstappen passed him on lap three, Paris passed him on lap five, both easily having a DRS. But even without DRS, it would have just taken a few laps longer, not much longer. But I guess that's how it is for now. And uh, there are a couple of other things to look at, just then only looking at the winner. Um, what I think we can move into looking at our fast five. Uh, oh, you don't want do, to. Well, the... <laughs> Well, depending on what you want to talk about in the fast five, just because I've, I've put a few highlights in the race. Like uh, one thing that I would say is, is just going back to what you had mentioned about uh, the Red Bulls and Verstappen taking, uh, overtaking Leclerc. He was 30 kilometers quicker than Leclerc on the straight. Like the straight line speed of the Red Bulls is just unmatched at this point. I really don't know what what team is going to compete with them when it comes to that and you're right when it came to Leclerc it, it was unfortunate to see him be in a position where he really wasn't able to hold that for for long uh for long at all but I know that they were also having some issues with tire degradation although on the radio during the like earlier during the sprint and qualifying but on the radio during the race the they kept saying that their tires were good so Again, I think that Red Bull is just uh, on fire at this point. So I did want to just mention that, the advantage. Um, but I guess it really depends on what you have in your Fast Five and what I have in, our, in my Fast Five. If it covers parts of the race, then sure, let's just get into it. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Mention the first one you've written down. Okay, okay. So I would say uh, one of the things that I mentioned that I wanted to write or that I wrote down is the teamwork with Aston Martin. I, I just feel like they, every week so far, they, you just see a few more shining moments in the team and how it's continuing to evolve into a really strong force. Who knows what the future holds? Obviously, the, the teamwork seems really strong right now, but we all know it's F1, so literally anything can happen and that could, could fall like a deck of cards. But at the same time, it's really interesting to see the evolution of this team and how much stronger they're getting. So... When it came to the teamwork, we touched on the fact that they were struggling with the DRS, but they made the best of it. They worked effectively as a team to get both drivers into SQ3 for the sprint. And then even during the race, you had Stroll emphasizing that he was trying that he was working with Alonso. He wasn't going to try to overtake him. Alonso coming back on the radio, giving feedback and suggestion for brake alterations for Stroll. Although Stroll did struggle a bit towards the end of the race, one could be said maybe 
maybe he was just struggling with the new adjustment. Um, I don't know, but either way, all around, I just wanted to mention that we're continuing to see a positive trend for Aston Martin. They're trying to make the best out of a weekend that could have potentially gone a little bit more sideways, given the struggles that they were having initially. So, True. I think Stroll was also mostly struggling with the fact that he touched the wall. And uh, I he guess did. that, yeah, he did. And um, <laughs> he had a few he, uh, moments too towards the end. Like he, he had that, that overtake Hamilton, Hamilton capitalized on that overtake um, where he did, he did. He also, that wasn't when he touched the wall, but he lost a bit of, and I don't know if this, I, I think it was a driver error. It seemed that way, but either way, he had a few moments towards the end where he was slipping up a bit. So it's a good point. The Aston Martin teamwork, it was really enjoyable to watch. And other than that, I also think that uh, what is a very strong point of the Aston Martins is the strength of their car. We've seen it now in a couple of races because, for example, that touch of Stroll with the wall was at exactly the same spot as where De Vries, who unfortunately bottled it again, um, they had very similar incidents but one car was not able to continue and the other one the Aston Martin was now that doesn't mean you know that they, they, they can be different cases even though they look similar but uh, but that Aston Martin looks looks strong even though it did have the DRS problems but uh, but it looks like a really really solid car it wasn't just the first race nor the second or the third where they had good performance but they continue to perform well Mm -hmm. That's a very good point as well. The durability of the car itself. And um, also it's, it's always great to see Alonzo in fine form and how he analyzes the race during the race, his, his smart, quick decision-making uh, the fact that they, they waited it out and they capitalized on the double stack and the pit stop uh, during the safety car. So yeah, like you said, they they've been they've been on top tier form over and over again so far. It's only four races in. We still have a lot of races to go through the calendar year, but it's exciting to see. So I want to hear more fast fives. What you don't want to go next? Oh, well, I can go next too. Yeah, why don't um, you go next? So <laughs> I'm interested to hear yours. So we've touched on it already, but uh, Paris having a great weekend like that, winning both the sprint and the race. That must be a great feeling for him after the struggles he had in Australia and I guess the doubts in the back of his mind, whether he, although in the media he comes across very strong that he's going to make a challenge for the championship, but surely he's he's been thinking about whether he'd be able to capitalize on being such a good street track driver. So yeah, I think that must be one of the highlights of the, of the weekend. Uh, we've seen it before. Uh, with a sprint in the race, uh, that the same winner, uh, even the last sprint race that we had in Brazil had the same outcome, Russell winning both the sprint and the race. And I think that must be must be a very great feeling for a driver. Yeah, I agree. I think that Perez has uh, shown a lot more strength this year, trying to, like we said before, he's capitalizing on opportunities. He excels in the street tracks. And also, you know, he he projects himself, like you've mentioned, in the media to to be confident. And sometimes, I, I, well, we, we can only assume that driving alongside Max Verstappen 
he is the world champion, you're, you're going to likely have some quiet doubts once in a while. So to perform as he was able to this weekend, I can only imagine that's a confidence boost. And I think that not only, well, in some sort of a way, Leclerc surely also had a confidence boost uh, putting that car on pole twice. So that was one of my fast fives as well, because I really think he took out the maximum what was possible for the Ferrari. And, and uh, you know, you got to compare him with his team, teammate. And Sainz wasn't all on it this weekend. He, he didn't have a particularly bad weekend, but neither a very good one. Yeah, I think that Leclerc definitely made the most out of this weekend with what he could. And again, comparing him to his driver, like you mentioned, or to his teammate, Sainz, there is a difference, a distinct difference for this weekend. I think that Sainz had some issues, obviously, going into qualifying. He had a few problems. He he spun out. He also had a situation where there he was he, he was down to the wire and trying to get the best lap. I believe it was in the sprint shootout uh, because of the red flags, the two red flags. So it, it put him in a, in a difficult position. But again, if you compare the two, you also have Leclerc crashing into the wall at the end, but still securing pole. And even though he couldn't comp- compete to the straight line speed with the Red Bulls, he still made the most out of that car. He he maximized it. And so you do you definitely have to give credit to that. And it was nice to see him on the podium for the first time this year. True. So with all the positives there, uh, going to a more negative feed of the race. Uh-oh. It was really, <laughs> it was a <laughs> it was a real know. shame to see uh, to see Albon uh, tapping Piastri uh, there on the first lap and uh, losing uh, his front wing end plate and not having a not having a very good race because of it. Yeah, and we've we mentioned before highlighting the sprint and the qualifying. Like he seemed to be having a really great strong weekend, and then he lost that point to Stroll, and then tapping Piastri was unfortunate. Yeah, he just seems so unlucky because in Australia as well, he had a great qualifying, but then he spun out in the race. I really feel there's there's quite a lot, a lot of lost points for Williams already. Uh, when you look at the constructor points, you'd say that Williams is where it, it it's expected to be. But to be honest with you, I think they, they could be sitting there with a few more points than they really are. Yeah, and Sargent again had a difficult. But like, I mean, he went into he he obviously during the sprint qualifying created quite a bit of damage on that car to the point where he couldn't even compete in the sprint. So you're already at a disadvantage there for Williams to try to potentially gain any ground in in points in the sprint, and uh, he was unable to really capitalize in in the race itself. And for Albin, yeah, un- unfortunately for him, it was it was tapping Piastri, who knows where he would have fe- finished potentially if that hadn't happened. True. So what did you make of, um, because I think you already mentioned it earlier, the safety car and uh, what happened because of it? And um, yeah, what what were your thoughts there? Uh, okay. Well, we had a few safety cars, so I'm guessing the one during the race yeah, that split the, the pit stops. Okay. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, strategically, I I thought that it was uh, it wasn't the best call for Red Bull to pull Verstappen in right away, because even if I mean you you can never predict that the safety car is going to happen, but the likelihood that it was at that point in time, I mean, most teams anticipate you're driving in Baku that something is going to happen. So 
the fact that that unfortunately didn't really work out in his favor, he did still manage to come out and I believe he was already in third by the time he came back. So that is, that is good for him, but he lost the ability to win the podium. I think at that point, as a result for Perez, it was great. He was able to capitalize on it. He came out on top, um, for other teams. It definitely gave them an advantage. Aston Martin was able to double stack. Ferrari was able to double stack. I would say, and this is unrelated to the pit stop itself, but we have to make mention of Ocon and Hulkenberg. And I have a feeling you were going to probably bring this up because the fact that they stayed on the hard tires straight through to the very end of the race and then obviously pitted at the end with the hope, with the hope that there was going to be another safety car. I mean, they were obviously gambling there, but that was quite impressive. I know towards the end of the race, they started to hold back Lando and Sonoda as a result, but still they managed to go throughout that entire race on that street circuit with the tire degradation that most drivers were facing on hards. That's quite impressive. You have to give them credit for that. Yeah. So actually that was one of my fast fives. Uh, I knew it. Giving giving credit to Haas and Alpine for, for taking that strategy for letting them start in the pit lane on the hard tires. Uh, because, you know, with just the one practice session and then the sprints, but of course in the sprints, you know, you don't really use the hard tires. So um, uh, in the sprint, I think there was just two cars starting on the softs, um, Bottas and Norris. So the rest drove mediums. So we had an idea how long the mediums would last. So just, you know, starting on the hards and, and you know, seeing how these tires would develop or degradate and then um, hoping for a safety car towards the end of the race. If it would have happened, they would probably have scored points. So I, yeah, I do think you gotta give credit to taking an alternative strategy like that because if if it would have turned out they would have they would have scored points, then we would have all celebrated it. So I think uh, it was brave, it was daring, and um, and yeah, uh, even. Even Haas with Magnussen didn't have such a bad race. I think uh, Magnussen also had very good timing of his pit stops. And um, yeah, so, you know, um, one day you don't score points like today and another day you will score points and uh, and you got to give credit for being, being brave. What did you think about when Ocon was going to finally pit and the media was all in the pit lane? Oh, yeah, that was a that was a strange sight, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> that that just I I uh, I yeah I I don't even know what to say about that to be honest. I was surprised, um, but I, I I hope I hope I'm sure that they will that they will have um, some sort of rule or regulation they'll implement to make sure that something like that doesn't happen again. But definitely some. Definitely a thing that you do not want to see. And as somebody that's on the track in the pit lane, if I saw Ocon coming towards me, I would run for my dear life. <laughs> they, they, some of them saw him really late, and and yeah, it looked comical. But um, yeah, I, I yeah, I hope we don't get to see that again. It's funny how you know you get new rules on on how pit crew cannot climb the the walls anymore. Yes. But, but then Fair at the point. same time, you see this happening. But uh, but yeah, maybe maybe you can't. Uh, yeah, that is a good observation. So I like do you, that. 
do you have any other fast fives written down or oh, not? I have do. You, oh, oh okay. yeah. Well, we're only, I'm keeping count today. So, well, actually, I don't know if I'm keeping count properly because I'm, I'm pretty sure we're at three. So, hope I'm right. Anyways. No, I, thought we were... <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Okay, you know what? You've mentioned this... teamwork of Aston Martin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've mentioned Perez's good weekend, Leclerc's yeah. his pulls. And then we've spoken about Haas's strategy. And I guess so. Okay, okay. We kind of mold them of the together. Of the, okay, all right. Well, <laughs> that's fine. It, all right. Make it I a five, have six, and one. seven then. All right, go but, ahead. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So I wanted to highlight the uh, strategy involved with the sprint weekend and the sprint format. And we, we kind of discussed it earlier, saying that some loved it, some not. However, I believe that it added an element of unpredictability and maybe just in general, just the, the, that specific sprint format, incorporating that into a race weekend, depending on the track, because I feel like again, with Baku, I just, I wouldn't necessarily be as excited at this track to see it, but if you put it at I, 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 I'm just going to say like Silverstone or somewhere where there is some really exciting opportunities. I think that it just would heighten, heighten the weekend for unpredictability and excitement. So anyways, going further into that, what I found is that number one, the, the cars themselves really have to be optimized for the qualifying, the sprint and the race. So you already have that element that you're battling because like we said, you have only an hour of practice. So any upgrades would would potentially affect it. And again, it's highlighting the struggles with certain teams and also the strengths with others. So for example, with Alpine, you were able, you saw, unfortunately, their struggles, their woes specifically. Well, I wouldn't say specifically with Gasly because Ocon obviously faced some suspension issues as well. But Alpine struggled this weekend. There's no doubt about that. And... Again, with only an hour of a practice session, having to get up to speed with the circuit, the upgrades, the conditions, the teams being on the same tires. So the strategy was focused on the efficiency of the tire utilization. And then while battling with Baku, the high degradation on that track. So running under short windows, it's just with not a lot of time during the sprint qualifying to land a decent lap, you're putting more pressure on the drivers to be able to perform in a short period of time. All of these elements, I think, make for, like I said, more of an unpredictability, more excitement. I know that a lot of people, it is something that divides a lot of fans' opinions because people don't necessarily like to see that. And for me personally, I think that if it's executed well and if it makes logic se logical sense and... I am a big fan of strategy when it comes to Formula One. So if there is an extra added element of strategy, I'm all for it. No, I tend to agree. The unpredictability is good because if you're going to give teams endless amounts of times to, to get the setup right and give them longer time in, in qualifying, so this sprint shootout was relatively short, right? And, and the qualifying for the race is, is just after one hour of practice. And for some teams, it's not even one hour for, for none of them because we had a red flag during pre-practice one. So, you know, if you don't give them all the time to get the setup right, then you're going to get results that are more mixed up. So 
what we want to see as fans is you know the 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 outliers the, the the strange results or the yeah like you were saying the unpredictable results so i think it's good to give teams limited amount of times in a certain way and teams and drivers are going to complain about it that's na- that's natural uh, that's what they're bound to do but uh, but as a fan i also want to see uh, you know things not be the same every single race weekend so so i also do like it here's my question for you a personal question so if you were to pick any track on the calendar this year where you would like to see a weekend like this with the sprint and the race included, what track would it be? Well, I think we're going to do this format now for the other five because it, it, they clearly said that this is the 2023 structure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see these things um, in, in, in Spa, for example, and Silverstone as well, like you mentioned. Um, we're going to have sprint races as well in in austria and in brazil and in qatar i'm not sure in qatar where it's going to be that good but uh, but yeah interlagos probably good for this as well uh, but out of all of them i would i would say most definitely uh, belgium i think spa would be great track for this for this sort of setup yeah i i would have to say the same i mean spa is one of my favorite tracks so I think it's it would be really really cool, and I'm I'm really excited to see that weekend to see it, and and plus just seeing more racing at Spa. I mean, how can you how can you complain about that? <laughs> exactly, and I hope that Spa is able to save itself from from being on the calendar as well yeah. in 24 because uh, with all the things, all the races being announced, or contract extensions and and new ideas being announced, I'm I'm really fearing that this might be the last year and and it really really shouldn't be i i really hope not either i know that it was questionable last year as well about the extensions and spa to me personally is one of the most iconic tracks in f1 i i could not see i could not see an f1 season without spa agreed okay so i guess well before i even say does to wrap things up, is there anything else that you want to include in the fast five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? <laughs> uh, I don't have any other other fast fives. I, I hear papers ruff- rustling over there. Oh, so, okay, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> one, I was thinking you were going to turn a page and go. I'm frantically you know trying to find one. something, but I but I don't. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I think for myself that normally I I always have something else to add, but I think that's pretty much it. The only other, actually, no, I'm not done. I have one more thing I just wanted to highlight. And this isn't necessarily a fast five. I just thought it was really interesting seeing everybody, teams opting for different strategies when they were first coming on the track during qualifying, during uh, the shootout, because... Again, going back to tire degradation, because it was so critical this weekend, you saw some teams that were risking waiting in the pit lanes as the tires cooled to actually get on the track because they were setting the priority of track placement. And then you saw other teams that were looking at the priority of keeping the tires warm, still staying in the garage with them under the blankets, as opposed to the track and using that as a priority as opposed to track position. So I found that was just a just another element to highlight that further added to this weekend and seeing who benefited 
off of those decisions? Oh, sure. Definitely with a shootout that's that's shorter, that's compressed in time, yep. like, like we saw, that's definitely going to be a, a, a larger factor playing a role. Well, we, we saw that with Russell and Verstappen, how much that played a role when it came to the track temperature on those tires. So, Indeed. All right. I think that's it for me. All right. So I'm eager to move on to scores. We'll see if I'm on my game in terms of guessing better than I am when it comes to the actual predictions, as usual. All right. So <laughs> let's pose a first quiz question for you then, which is, so, you know, we already had people playing from all over the world, but we had people joining from various different countries for this weekend, uh, notably from Uzbekistan, from Libya, Oman. We had two people from Switzerland where we didn't have anyone previously. Samoa, Qatar, Curaçao, Senegal, Montenegro, Guatemala. So now the question is how many countries or how many from how many different countries do we have people playing the game? Okay. First of all, I just want to say before I even make this prediction that it's really, really cool to have uh, so many people from all different countries walks of life and countries join this game. So it's really great to see it continue to grow. And with that being said, I am probably going to be wrong in this guess, but I will go with 107. Okay, that's very, very close. <laughs> <laughs> so with all these people joining though? this... Sorry? No, I, I just said, what is it though? <laughs> it's 106. So we actually... Is it really? Yeah, so we passed the 100 mark since this weekend. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. And it will continue to grow. For sure. So how many people played this weekend? Okay, so I have to admit something here. So normally... You already know. <laughs> <laughs> but let me, let me just explain. Let me just explain briefly. The only reason I know is because... There is a Forecast F1 WhatsApp group where Anton will usually provide some information or updates related to the game, which if you're not a part of, I recommend you join. However, I usually stay blind in terms of any updates on the stories or anything like that leading up to the podcast so that I truly can make a guest decision uh, estimation as to the numbers here. I went to the WhatsApp group a couple of days ago when you sent the update for the total people that had joined, not knowing. And I clicked it and I saw the number. So I cannot, I cannot in good conscience give an estimated amount when I already know the answer. Right. So, well, so, well I uh, guess. Hopefully I was right in my number because I believe it's 527. Yeah. So curiosity, <laughs> curiosity did kill the chat in this case. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was 527. You're right. Woohoo! First guess right. Yeah, and well, um, I'm not guess. That wasn't a guess. Sorry. <laughs> so we had because of the sprint race, we had more points available. So let me explain that concept first. So, as you know, you can score the same amount of points as a driver score. So in a regular race weekend, that's 102 points. But because of the sprint race and P8 up until P1 scoring points. 
those added will get to 138 maximum points available this weekend. That definitely gives you an extra added bonus to try to score some extra points. And also, if you're somebody who maybe didn't have a great race uh, prediction in the last in the last couple of races, it gives you the opportunity to get a little boost. Yeah, so there was a couple of people who definitely scored some bonus points. Um, in general, the the average score, well, the average score for the race was 40.8 and for the sprint, 12.1. So that gives an average score of 52.9 points over this weekend. So that's a little bit higher than usual, but that's because of those bonus sprint points. So I think uh, the first thing that we've got to do is look at the podium. And yeah, there's a <laughs> there's somebody sky high on that podium. So... Oh. So, Una Rakonjac from Serbia scored a dazzling 121.4 points. Oh my goodness, That's in, that is awesome. Yeah, so just to give you an idea, there were three people who correctly predicted the sprint podium. So, there were also three people who correctly predicted the race podium. So three and three. But Una predicted both correct. Wow. Congratulations, Una. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's really, really amazing. So she on the on the sprint race, she predicted Perez on P1, Leclerc on P2, Verstappen on P3. She also predicted the correct P5 signs and had strolled there. So other than that, she did score points for Alonso Hamilton and Russell as well. But uh, those were just slightly mixed up. And for the race, she predicted P1 Perez, P2 Verstappen, P3 Leclerc, P4 Alonso, P5 Sainz, P6 Hamilton. So those were all correct. Wow, that is that is so good. I, I cannot be any more happier for her because it's, uh, it's really great to see her at the top. And, and predicting the top six correct in the race... That's great. Yeah, and then seven and eight, she just had switched Russell and Stroll around. So she actually had the correct people, but just switched them around. So she came very close to even scoring more points. So, you know, 121.4 points. I don't think we're going to see that beaten anytime soon. First of all, it can only be beaten during sprint weekends because 102 is the maximum amount of points during a regular race. And... I don't know if you remember who had the high score set last year. Uh, that would be Andrew Berger. Right, with 92 points. And that was still the highest score ever scored in the game. But Andrew's been dethroned. <laughs> dethroned by Una. Well, it's it. that is just an, that is a really, really great score. I mean, like you said, I don't know how anyone's going to top that. Yeah, and it's not even because of the sprint race, because if we would only have had a race, she would have scored 94 points. So she would have beaten him as well. So obviously that also beats the high score that we had for this year, which Lucas Arnone had set. So yeah, I think we're going to see Una there on top of the list for a pretty long while. It sure sounds like it. So moving on to number two of this race weekend is Tobias Jolie from France 
who scored 104.4 points. So that's also really, really good. That's huge. Yeah, he, he predicted a correct sprint podium as well. Actually, his sprint correction was exactly the same as Una. Actually, there's more coincidences. So during 2022 season, Una and Tobias at their total tally of points for the whole season were less than one point apart from one another. So they're actually competing with race number 233 for Una, who just edged uh, a few points, well, uh, decimal points on Tobias, who is racing with 234. So actually two people with two racing numbers, just one apart, being on top of the podium this weekend. What a coincidence. That's almost like Max and uh, Leclerc with the with the even number going into qualifying <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a rarity to do that. It is. And Tobias also had a correct P1 in the race. He predicted P4 Alonso as well, P5 Sainz, P6 Hamilton, P8 Russell. So, yeah. So, scoring 104.4 points would have gotten him the highest score of the game if it weren't for Una. But I guess every man may meet his match. And in this case, it's a woman. Exactly. <laughs> so, moving on to number three on the podium for the bronze medal is Efriu Amrula from Indonesia. So, Slamak Berbagia to him. And he scored 18 sprint points and 79.5 points in the race. So, that takes him to a total of 97.5 points, which is also really, really high. He had a correct P1, P2, P5, and P6 in the race. Big scores. Big, big scores. That's awesome. Congratulations to all three of you. So, let me just mention the other two people that predicted a correct podium for the race. Uh, so also Shane van Benden and Aymar Fatan uh, from Belgium and from Indonesia had a correct podium with Perez Verstappen and Leclerc. So moving on to the high scores with a couple of very high scores gotten in in Azerbaijan. There are seven people who actually beat Lucas Arnone to his top score that was previously set. And that means that actually on the high score, there's only three non-Baku scores that remain. So Lucas now has the score, the eighth highest score. And then on P19, we have uh, a shared spot for Friso Hofke and Mayrin Cordova, who won the weekend of Bahrain. Other than that, all the worldwide high scores are now set at Baku. And a lot more races to come, a lot more sprint races to come, and a lot more opportunity to for people to join that high score table. That's right. That's right. So I think it will also be fun to look at the people who are competing for that first spot in the overall competition with accumulated points. So let's go back a little bit to those that were P1, P2, P3 last week or <laughs> last race. Uh, it's been a few weeks. So we had Franco <laughs> Boyanitz previously on P1. So he scored 52 points and that makes him drop to P7. We had Yannick Lee, who was on P2, who scored 55 points for Baku and now dropped to P10. And then P3 was Nancy Jonasson, who was actually at the race in Baku. Yes, she was. And she scored 58 points 
and there's now P8. So just a interesting little story uh, with Nancy going to Baku this weekend. She ran into Yuki Sonoda at the airport in Istanbul. That's so cool. Yeah, it really is. And she she always seems to get the best photos. I mean, her photos are just really, really great. If you don't know how to follow Nancy, I would suggest following her on Instagram. I believe her Instagram handle is F1. So the letter F, the number one underscore world trip. And I hope I'm right. Am I right? Yeah, you're right. I'm doing this off the top of my head here. <laughs> Sorry, Nancy. But I would suggest following her because she travels to as and has traveled to as many F1 races as she possibly can each year. So her pictures, like her 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 summary of the weekends and and the experience that she has, is something that's really entertaining and enjoyable to see. So I definitely recommend for anyone to go check it out. But yes, she ran into Yuki, and I believe she said that they happened to be on the same flight heading into Baku from Istanbul. Yeah, that's right. And she had tickets for the grandstand right in front of the pit box of Alpine where there was a lot of things happening there during the weekend. So, uh, yeah, very exciting to, to see her photos and videos. And uh, I think she must have had a great time. Oh, I have no doubt. Judging by, judging by the Instagram stories, it's not, it looks like she had a really a lot of fun. And speaking of Nancy, all three of us are going to actually be together to watch the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal in June. So that's really exciting, and I can't wait. Yeah, there's not going to be much longer to wait because the weekends are now coming fast and quickly with a lot of races so it's going to be it's going to be an exciting next couple of months one after the other and i can't wait to do the podcast for that one because physically we are going to be there and uh similar to where nancy was in baku we're going to be able to be in a spot that gets us the ability to see the pits as well so i cannot wait neither can i so to round it off we're going to look at the leaders for the competition now after this Baku race. So in P1 is now Tobias Jolie, who was on the podium, and he now has a combined total points of 281, which is a lot, given that there's a 33-point gap towards number two. So that's that's significant. So number two is currently held by Matteo Poletti, who runs Paul Mad Racing the Instagram and TikTok page, uh, meme page. I don't know if you know it, but uh, if you don't follow that already, you really, really should. You should. It's a, <laughs> it, it's a very unbiased and, and you know, it's, it's a meme page. So it basically makes fun of everybody. Yep. Quick-witted memes. They're great. Exactly. So he scored 82 points in Baku and now has a total of 247.8 points. So way to go. But uh, yeah, still quite a lot of points to the leader. And P3 is held by someone from Lebanon called Philip Hoyek. And he has 65 points scored in Baku, getting to a total of 241.3 points. And actually the winner of Baku, Una, with her 121 points was able to climb to P6. So just out of curiosity, was there anybody else that beat Andrew Berger's score this weekend? <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we had the three people that were on the podium this weekend. Then fourth place was Mirka Hansiova from Slovakia, who scored almost 97 points. It was 96.9. And 
Shane van Benden, who I already mentioned had a correct podium, scored 94.4 points. And P6 this weekend was Joshua Cox, who scored 92.5. So all of those, all of those people beaten the high score that was previously set. Very nice. And Joshua is also a fellow Canadian. That's right. But he's West Coast. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we're going to end with a little quiz where I ask you from the top 10, how many people you think had correct predictions for all of those positions. So we had 527 people who played the game this weekend. We already established that. Now, who or how many people do you think correctly predicted Perez as the winner of Baku? Okay. I mean, let's be honest, I'm always wrong. Uh, but I'm going to say out of 527, I, 124. 72 people. <laughs> As always, I'm consistent, at least, in how far off I am. True. I, I think, well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> at least you're honest. <laughs> yeah, I'm, tr I'm trying to be. This is how I was raised. So, for stopping, P2. How many people had him at P2? I will, I will tell you how many people had him for P1, which was 385. So that gives you a rough idea of how many of these 527 people you can already take out because they had him on P1. So how many people actually had him on P2? Okay, I'm going to go with 65. Ooh, that one you got close. It's 69. Oh, yes. <laughs> Leclerc P3. Leclerc P3, okay. I'm going to go with 82. 58. So that's also not okay. too far. Alonso I'm actually P surprised. I'm actually a little bit surprised that there was only 52 people out of 527. I mean, then again, I did not choose Leclerc for P3 as well. So, Yeah, in general, there, were, there was not a lot of confidence in Ferrari uh, this weekend. There was a lot of people who had them in lower places. So those that didn't, or those that had them in P3, actually scored, uh, outscored, a lot of the other people but i guess in the next couple of weekends uh, the, the the ferraris are gonna peak up a little bit higher in the predictions of everyone we'll see you never know so then alonso finished at p4 i'm gonna guess how many people chose alonso in p4 well i i i think that given his consistency over the last now four races but technically three when people were guessing I'm going to say that it's fairly high. I will put 134. You're getting good at this. It's 118. That, that's really not too far. I, I wish I could put this much energy into my predictions for this yeah. weekend. <laughs> <laughs> You're setting good goals. <laughs> yeah, let's, see, let's see how they work out next race in Miami. Right, so we're moving on to signs in P5. Hmm. I think this one's going to be a little tougher, to be honest. But I'm going to say 42. 70. <laughs> okay, well, that wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't that bad. Uh, Hamilton for P6. Ooh, okay, I'm going to say 32. 75. Oh, well, okay, I was a little bit more off on that. Yeah, I guess in the end, the Mercedes aren't that quick. So there's a decent amount of people who put them in the midfield and Fair. not on the podium. Fair estimation. Unlike me. 
Where did you have Hamilton? I so okay. Let me. I do need to say this. Okay, so there was no logic involved in my predictions this weekend, and the reason why is because I always try to throw logic. The this past uh, this year, I've been trying to throw logic. I, I think about the track. I think about everything and I overthink it. And so I found that it hasn't been that successful for me in the last three races. So going into this one, I thought, you know what, why not Sam, just go with your gut, go with your instinct. And I chose Hamilton for, I chose Verstappen to win. I chose Hamilton for P2 and I chose Russell for P3. So clearly that didn't age well. That didn't age well, but you did choose Alonso P4 and did finish P4. So you got those points. Yeah, at least I got that going yeah, for me. But I'm trying to cheer you up there. Uh, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Look, we have a lot of um, we have a lot more races to go. So I think that I just need to find a good balance, and um, we'll get there. Uh, we yeah. all have we all have our moments. We all have our shining moments. It'll come at one point. We'll get there, indeed. So stroll P seven. Stroll P seven. I'm going to say that quite a few people probably chose this. So I'm going to go with one eighty. It's 97. Okay. But I do got to say, so from all of the top 10 finishers, um, most correct predictions were Alonso and Stroll, both the Aston Martin. So that's, that's, yeah, that's quite interesting. You know, what else is interesting is, is, is think about this, that majority, so majority of the 527 people have chosen two Aston Martins to be in the top 10 in the year, in this year. Um, you wouldn't have said the same in 2022. Oh, no, no, I don't think I had Stroll and Vettel both in the top 10 in any of the races. Yeah. So Russell P8. I'm going to say it's a small number. 26. I'm really hoping you're going to get one exactly right one day, but this one's 21. So you, you got oh. really close. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's pretty. Yeah, that's close enough. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's not a lot of people. All right, who's so, next? Norris is next. P eight. Norris. No, P nine. Oh, sorry, P nine. See, this is this is where my <laughs> counting <laughs> goes down the drain. Uh, okay, P nine. Norris. Uh, judging by their performances, I'm going to say that people probably did pick P Norris. More people probably picked P Norris if they're going or P Norris. Look at me go. Uh, more people probably chose Norris if they were going to pick him, probably in P9 or P10. So I'm going to say 88. Oh, you got close again. 75. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So P10 went to Tsunoda. Mm -hmm. How many I'm going to say 32. Again, I not like far off. Really? Not I was about off. to yeah. stop myself and say, ah, I feel like it's actually lower than that. But Yeah, it is. It's 20. Okay. I was, okay. I won't say the number I was going to go with because, I mean, it doesn't matter now. So. <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you a bonus chance for getting one right. So how okay. many people had Russell on fastest lap? Ooh, 21. Well, if you turn around the two numbers, you'll get 12. 12? Just 12 people. Just 12 wow. people. Okay. So that's the end of our quiz, I guess, for this weekend. <laughs> well, uh, I did a little bit better this this time, but Certainly. Um, <laughs> <you did. laughs> no brownie points here. That's fine. No, but you'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> so next week, we're back at it. 
because we're heading to Miami. Well, we physically aren't heading to Miami. I wish I was heading to Miami. Uh, it would probably <laughs> probably be better weather there than it is here right now. But uh, Miami takes place next weekend. Um, anything you're looking forward to? Uh, well, if there's anything I would be hoping for would be to see sergeant score points in his home race and he is from mm. i think he's from fort lauderdale so yeah it would be it would be awesome to see that just as we saw piastri score points in australia but i guess it's a bit of a long shot on the other hand you know the williamses really are not not bad at all but uh, but yeah and i guess you know you just gotta have that tiny bit of luck and you know it would just be great to see yeah, it's always great to see. Uh, it's always great to see someone that you did that doesn't usually uh, get in the points be in that position, especially if it's someone that's never been there before. That's that's a nice reward. It was nice to see Piastri in it doing well in Australia and and achieve his first points. So it would be nice to see Logan do that as the same. I'm just I'm just looking forward to seeing actual water. Uh, in that section, <laughs> that specific section of the of the track in Miami, with the boats last oh, there, year, there is going to be actual water now. Apparently so. Apparently so. I'm I'm just happy that that's happening because visually, that to me, in my own personal opinion, was an eyesore. It just it drove me nuts every time they did an aerial. Um, they did an aerial of that, and uh, I, I just kept looking at it, going, "But it's not water. <laughs> it's just paint." So. Uh, that'll that'll be nice, you know. But um, from from an actual race standpoint, I mean, it, uh, I'll be excited just to just to have yet again another weekend back to back to uh, see these guys go at it. I was going to say, for all I care, they can paint it black, but uh, yeah. I just want to see a good race. <laughs> all, all I want to see is a good good race. Same, same. All right, so hope you guys join us again next week and hope you guys score some points and i hope uh, like we were saying to see a good race that's it everyone we're out cheers